the journey that we're on as a church has grief as a part of our walk and our steps, but also celebration is a part of our walk and our steps. And let us never forget the great Redeemer, our Savior, and our Lord, who was crucified and was raised from the dead. On the third day, he appeared. And he appeared to the apostles, to the women at the tomb, to the apostles later. Paul said, to me as one untimely born, I wish I was born 20 years ago, Paul said, but I wasn't, but as one untimely born, Christ also appeared to me. When I was nine years old, Christ appeared to me. And he called me to be saved and to follow him. And since that time, I've not done it perfectly. I have so many failures. But my Redeemer lives. He's never failed me. He'll never fail me yet. And someday, I'll see him face to face. And so will you. In the world that we live in now that claims our time, our energies, our interests, this whole world is passing away. And today is the opportunity for someone here to get on board. To get on board and hear the call of Jesus Christ to be saved. Let us read the Word of God from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Let us pray before we begin. Father, we thank you for your Word. Your Word that comforts and challenges all at the same time. The Word that gives assurance to us. The Word of God that is true and faithful. All of the world, grass withers, flowers fade, but the Word of our God, is eternal, abides forever. Speak to us in a fresh way this morning, Lord, and continue to sanctify us in our walk to, make, to be better disciples of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. Paul begins chapter 4 of Ephesians with the word, Therefore. And when he writes, Therefore, it's, there's a reason that it's therefore. It's time to pay close attention. All the time that Paul has been writing to the church at Ephesus, he has recalled, I'm sure in his mind, the two years that he spent there. He left Corinth and he went on to Ephesus. Apollos kind of took over the ministry at Corinth and Paul went on to Ephesus. And when Paul got to Ephesus, he found about 12 people who, were, who had heard the message of John the Baptist that the Christ was coming and they believed. And in this fertile garden territory there in Ephesus, Paul preached to them the gospel, and they said, we believe the gospel. And he said, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, we've not yet received the Holy Spirit, never heard of the Holy Spirit. And Paul took his hands and laid it upon those twelve that believed there, and they received the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says they spake in tongues. The Bible says they rejoiced. The Bible says they were changed. The Bible says that Paul laid down a structure for a church there at this town called Ephesus. A center of um, hedonism. You know what hedonism is? The selfishness of self-pleasuring is hedonism. 
And in this city of hedonism, no different from the time in which we live now, God laid down a foundation through the teaching of the Apostle Paul for church. When Paul left Ephesus, he said, I'm going to Rome one day. Well, Paul kept his word. Kind of like Douglas MacArthur, the general, said, I'll be back. I shall return. Paul said, I shall go to Rome. Well, he did go to Rome. He was hoping to get there with a group of missionaries to evangelize and maybe even win the Caesar to the Lord. But instead, when Paul went to Jerusalem first, he was arrested. And then Paul was bound and taken into chains. And according to the book of Acts, Paul was finally led to Rome in these chains as a prisoner. Not a prisoner as he saw it of the state, like Rome. Paul would never see himself as a prisoner of the state. Paul would never see the gospel of Jesus Christ hindered and stopped in any way. He would give his very life for the Savior that appeared to him on the road to Damascus. The Savior that he claimed was his Lord and his God. The Kurios Christos, the Lord Christ. But the soldiers bound him in chains, took him on a ship and found his way to Rome to stand trial before Caesar himself. And so Paul, when he is in prison there in Rome, he is allowed some freedom. And part of his freedom in time that he used was to write some letters back to these churches that he'd been a missionary to and helped found. And one of them was the church at Ephesus. Folks, that's why we have this book in the Bible. Because this man was in prison. Because he was faithful to the Lord. And let's listen now in chapter 4, verse 1, having heard that background, how Paul writes about his relationship to the Lord. How, if you will, and this is the title of today's message, what we believe matters. What Paul believed mattered to him in his most difficult time of life, imprisoned and being prepared for execution itself. He writes, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, not a prisoner of Rome, not a prisoner of Caesar, not a prisoner of society, Paul felt himself to be the freest person on the face of the earth, regardless what his circumstances were. I am a prisoner of the Lord. There are several occasions in the writings of the Apostle Paul that he will talk about being bound with Christ. Instead of looking at his chains as a hindrance to his calling and his identity and his mission, he saw his binds, his bounds, his chains as an opportunity to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he would say over and over again, I am a bond servant. You see that idea? I'm a slave. I'm bound. I am bond servant of Jesus Christ. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility, and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Where at Ekron Baptist Church do you see that printed? Does anybody know? Has anybody been paying attention? 
Where do you see that phrase printed on the wall at Ekron Baptist Church? In the baptistry. You got it. Who said that? Marcella. Give Marcella a hand. Give Marcella a hand. <laughs> one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and one Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. I did not turn in verse 7, but I want to read verse 7. But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of what Jesus gave. Christ's gift by His death on the cross. What we believe matters. What Paul believed mattered to him. And it made a difference in how he interpreted his circumstances. And it will make a difference in how you and I determine or understand our circumstances right now. It makes a difference what we believe about salvation. Paul taught very clearly here in verse 1 that we are called to follow Christ. Each of us has received that invitation to come to Jesus to be our Savior and our Lord. If you were in Sunday school this morning, you saw that invitation uh, being taught in Sunday school. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit today, is calling out for all to be saved. And whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, shall be saved. This is God's calling upon your life and mine that we would follow Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. Now it's very important here to get a New Testament perspective, or if you will, why does Paul use this word calling? Where does that come from? Well, it comes from God's calling of Abraham. God selected a people. God selected Abraham. And God said to Abraham, I have a mission for your life. And God put his hand upon Abraham and gave him his calling. And he set apart Abraham uh, to be his servant, and to found a nation, a people, that will inherit the very promises of God. And today we call that nation Israel. Now you and I in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ have that same calling upon our life to follow God through Jesus Christ and faith in Him. And we too are that Israel. We are the new Israel, the Apostle Paul calls it. Now in the book of Isaiah... Isaiah was reminding Israel about their calling, just like Paul is trying to remind the church of Ephesus about their calling. You follow me now? Wake up, everybody. Pay attention. Get off the phone. Listen. This is important. This will change your life. This will make your day. This will make you want to say amen. When, God, when Apostle Paul talks about we are called to follow and walk with Jesus Christ, he's referring back to that ancestral family of faith the Israel of the Old Testament that God said I'm going to make Abraham my son and he is going to be the father of a great nation and when he did that he didn't call him Abram anymore he gave him a new name in the book of Isaiah Isaiah reminds God's people who were in exile that God has called you to follow him we are the people of God and when the Bible talks about a calling in this way it's, calling, it's, it's talking about giving us a new name, it giving us, helping us understand what election is, which is how Paul starts chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians. 
He, it's, it's talking about who owns us. It's talking about what our mission is and what our appointment in life is all about. So what is our new name? God gave Abraham a new name. Abram, call him Abraham. When he met Peter, he gave Peter a new name. No longer will I call you Cephas, but I'm going to call you Peter because you're the rock, meaning, or Cephas rather, not Simon, but Cephas. Your name is going to be Peter. When the Apostle Paul got saved, he had a new name, went from Saul to Paul. You and I have a new name too. My name is still Tom before I got saved and Tom after I got saved, but I had a new name when I got saved. You know what that new name was? Christian. I didn't have that name before I got saved, but now I have that name. And the name Christian means little Christ. Little Christ. We are not just who we are. We are a part of the body of Christ, of believers who have joined together to follow Jesus Christ. We are all little Christ if we are truly believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah said, quoted the Lord when Abraham was but one. He said, I called him and then I blessed him and I multiplied him. And then he said to Israel, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its father's corners, and I called you. God reached down to a place called Sykes, Louisiana. I was teasing J.C. about finding Ekron, Kentucky. Uh, can anybody find Sykes, Louisiana? Who knows where that is? But God did. At the age of nine, he called me to be saved. Uh, you see, God knows everybody in the world. He knows where you are. He knows what's going on in your life. He loves you, and he wants you to follow his Savior, our Savior, his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's only through faith in him that we're able to be saved. So we have a new name. We are in God's elected, we are now God's elected people. You are God's chosen people, the Bible says. And this body of Christ called the, the Christian church, we are the people of God. That's who we are in terms of election. And who owns us now? This idea of ownership. Christ owns us. And Paul uses that idea of chains and being bound to Jesus Christ as saying, I am bound to Christ. He owns me. I go where he takes me. We are bound to Christ. And what is his mission? Paul said, my appointment and my mission is to continue to spread the good news and the mystery of the gospel that everybody can be saved. It's not for just the Jews to be saved, but he said it's also for the Gentiles to be saved. So friends, hear what I'm trying to say today. I'm trying my best to say to you that God first calls you to follow Christ, our Savior, and our Lord. That's the first calling in your life. And that calling has come to you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that calling is heard by the people who are receptive to hearing the message of the gospel of Christ. When we say yes to that call, we are bound with Christ. We are in chains with Jesus. But not only are we in chains with Jesus, listen carefully, we are in chains with each other. Not only are we are bound to Christ, but we are bound to one another. I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with humility, with gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligently, diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit 
in the bond of peace. We are bound to each other, and that bonding that we have is the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church at Ephesus was split right down the middle. There were those in the church who were Jews who had become Christians. There were Gentiles who had been saved and came into the church. And the Jews couldn't understand that the Gentiles was just as much an heir of Abraham as the Jews were. And so this tension and this torment uh, plagued the New Testament church for years and years and years. And Paul used this idea of being chained to Christ and in chains with each other to help us understand that we are one body, one church. Because he says here, there is one body. There's not Equin Baptist Church, and then there's Parkland Baptist Church, and Salem Baptist Church, and uh, Methodist Church, and that church over there. There is the universal church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And wherever Jesus is named and Jesus is believed as the Savior and Lord, that those who do believe are the church. Regardless of the denominational door that you claim to name, nor no matter where in the world you are, there is one universal church of believers. There is one spirit that saves all of us. There is one spirit, only one spirit of God that has transformed our life and made us disciples, believers, and followers of Jesus Christ. Therefore, you were also in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And what he's saying there is Christ is in all believers. He dwells in all believers. And we are members of this body of Christ. Not only do we have a name, not only do we have a title called elect, the people of God, not only do we have uh, this sense of being owned by Jesus Christ, but we have a mission together, bound together by the chains of the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter what our condition may be. And that's what Paul did when he wrote this book to the church at Ephesus. The writing of this book reminded me of an article I read about Pilgrim's Progress, a book by John Bunyan, who in the 1600s spent several years in jail because he chose to worship independently apart from the Church of England. And so he was persecuted, and while he was persecuted, he was thrown into jail, and while he was jailed, he returned to his writing, like the Apostle Paul did while he was in prison as well. And Bunyan writes... In 1678 from prison, he says, you know, here I am in prison, here I am in jail, and I've been away from my writing too long. Maybe this is not so much a prison, but as an office from which I can reach the world with Christ's message. What you believe matters. Where you are right now, whatever you feel chained to right now, some problem you're having, some difficulty that you're facing, some fear, some uncertainty. The message, your job has never changed. Our appointment has never changed. Our identity has never changed. Though we be enchained by this world and not able to do things we'd like to do, we still have that calling to preach and to teach 
the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there a purpose in your suffering? Yes, there is. Is there a purpose in your uncertainty? Yes, there is. It is time to deal with sanctification. What do we do with the days that we have as we are bound to Christ together for the gospel? It matters. What we're called to live out is this gospel, he said. He said, with all humility and with gentleness and with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's our job. And uh, in, in some families, it's hard to do that. In some church families, it's hard to do that. Uh, the church at Ephesus, it was hard to do that. But Paul hit the nail on the head. He said, you must do that. Because the world is transformed by our testimony of the gospel. We're building a building, but it won't transform the world. We're going to remodel a building, but it won't transform the world. What will transform the world is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that comes from the people who worship here, who are discipled here, and who grow here in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? That wasn't very loud. Let me try something else. I've said this statement before, and I want to say it again because I think it is so true. We always behave as we believe, sometimes as we confess. By confessing, I mean our profession of faith, what we say we believe, what, what we testify that we believe, doctrine, uh, the Bible, and so forth. But we always behave as we believe. I'm just going to throw this out there and let it, just let her, let her be. Where we are now in the life of our church, is there anything that's hindered you from sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is there anything in us that has hindered us from being on task in evangelism and discipleship? in our church. Churches can get consumed with money for a building, the actual construction of the building. You know, sometimes I think we've bit off more than we can chew. But as Linda told me one day, we're still chewing. Can I get an amen? They don't say amen here like they did at Parkland, brother. I have to coach them along. We're still chewing. Amen. And we're going to keep chewing. Because we're going to behave like we say we believe. We say we believe that we are bound to Christ, therefore we are little Jesuses in the world. We say we believe that we are called to be on mission with Christ. We say we believe that. It's time we really do it. With humility, with gentleness, with patience, 
showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How much do you value your salvation? And how much do you value your church? Do you have any idea of what your house is worth? Do you have any idea of what your automobile is worth? I used to work in a pawn shop when I was a seminary student. And we used to take high school rings that we paid a lot of money for and college rings we took paid a lot of money for. And people would pawn those college rings and high school rings. And when we got ready to sell those things, we'd take a big old hammer, bam, and smash them college rings. Because they were only worth what some jeweler would pay for the 10%, 10 whatever carats of gold or whatever was in it. What is your house worth? Whatever somebody would give you for it. That's what it's worth. And that's when I learned why things are maybe quoted as worth something, but it's really only what someone will, will give for it. What are you worth? What are you worth? I'll tell you what you're worth. There's one Lord, one Spirit, one faith, one baptism. You're worth so much to God. You're worth so much to His Son, Jesus, that He was willing to lay down His life and die before you ever knew Him. That's how much you're worth to God. That's how much you're valued to God. The body of Christ, the church, is the bride of Christ. How do we value the church? How do we value the church? Folks, church is not about satisfaction. It's about sanctification. Doing church is messy. But being bound together as a prisoner of the Lord is messy. And until we learn how to live together in the bond of the unity of peace. We don't have to agree on everything. And he's not asking for uniformity. He said we are the body of Christ and everybody's different. Some's the eye and some's the ear and some's the foot and some's the hand. We're all different. But we're all treasured. We're treasured by Christ who gave his very life for us. Will we not treasure one another? Church is not about being satisfied. It's the messy place where God has put us for our sanctification. To learn how to grow and mature and to become little Christ. And to keep this message of the gospel going forward out in the world. The church is not about individuals. It's about the body of Christ. When you were baptized, you were not just baptized into Christ, you were baptized into the body of believers. And so this local church is the extension of Christ's body in Ekron community, in Meade County, and whoever may come from wherever to hear. To not be involved in the church is to diminish being united with Christ and his body. 
It's saying, I don't need you. Christ needs you and values you. How much do you value him? And how much do you value his church? The church is not about emotion, but the church is about mission. The church is not about consumption. Some people attend church because they are looking to get something out of something. It's about communion. And the word communion is made of two words, common union, communion. And our communion is in Jesus Christ. And every time we take the Lord's Supper, we call it communion. Because we remember that it is Christ in us who is the hope of glory that gives us an identity, that gives us a calling, an election, that gives us a mission to accomplish, remembering that he is our owner. This is not Brother Tom's church. This is Christ's church. Let us love it. Let us treasure one another. Let us treasure our calling. And let us walk in a manner worthy of the gift and the measure that's been given to each of us. Can anybody measure the gift of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross? Not at all. More than we can possibly imagine. But that's how much he treasures you. Let's live up to that. Will you bow your head with me as we pray? Today, if you're here and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, I invite you to come during this time of invitation to give your life to the Lord. Some of you may want to join as a family. Say, I brought my family here today and I want to unite with this church. I've already been saved and baptized and I want to get busy here serve the Lord. Some of you want to make a decision right there in your pew to treasure the church more, to treasure your salvation more, to treasure your calling more and your place of service more and give it your highest priority. We thank you, Father, for the calling to follow you and to serve with you and with one another. May we be true servants who treasure this opportunity to walk together bound with Christ and bound to each other. Lord, have your way in this invitation and be glorified by the results. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.